this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello. Welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. This week, a slice of cheese is looking at Parmesan or Parmigiano-Reggiano, that very sort of majestic Italian cheese, which has very venerable history and an absolutely central place in, in the Italian kitchen, you know, in, in cooking and eating, you know, is the world's most famous grating cheese. And this week, we're going to be talking to Giorgio Cravero um, from the family business. The Cravero family have been maturing Parmesan cheese, or Parmigiano, I should say, for, from 18, since 1855. Um, so Giorgio is a, is a great expert, um, noted for the quality of his Parmigiano. We're also going to talk to Philip Contini of the Italian delicatessen Valvoen and Crolla in Edinburgh, because the Italian delicatessens did a great job of introducing these Italian ingredients to, to the British public um, long before the supermarkets stopped them. It was, you had to go to an Italian deli to find ingredients like Parmigiano. And we will also be talking, given how important Parmigiano is as a food cheese and a, a cheese that we eat, you know, use in the kitchen, sprinkle on food, thrilled to have um, Rachel Roddy. The English food writer who has lived in Rome now for several years and writes beautifully um, with a lot of feeling about Italian food. Um, so, a great lineup today. I hope you enjoy it. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. Well, welcome, Giorgio. It's really lovely to have you on A Slice of Cheese. Giorgio, I wanted to start with an interesting question, which is, what should we call Parmesan? <laughs> all right. Thanks for having me, first of all. I'm really <laughs> pleased and excited. So the real word of the Parmesan is the Italian word, which is Parmigiano Reggiano. It's often misunderstood with Parmesan, which is the translation in English of the word Parmigiano-Reggiano. But at the same time, Parmesan identify the one I might call the fake one, because there's a huge production worldwide, United States of America, Argentina, Eastern Europe, Germany... Netherlands, Australia, New Zealand, <laughs> of a type of Parmigiano-Reggiano, which is actually an hard cheese, which is produced for uh, being cooked or grated. 
huge right. production. So to identify the Italian one, the best thing to do is to call it with its name, the proper one, which is Parmigiano Reggiano. Great. That's really good to have that clarified. I think it's so interesting the way that, you know, there's cheese and cheese. I mean, the proper Parmigiano Reggiano is made very strictly, isn't it? The the rule, there are laws about how it is made. Tell us a little bit about the um, the history, Giorgio, of this sort of remarkable cheese and the role it plays in the Italian economy as well. All right. We need to go back to uh, more than... 1,000 years ago, because the very first documents about the production of the of Parmigiano Reggiano are back to the uh, to the age of the Benedict Benedictine monks, mm -hmm. back to around 600 after Christ. Hmm, amazing. There's a very famous thing about uh, Parmigiano Reggiano in Boccaccio de Camerone, mm -hmm. uh, dated 1345, where a mountain of grated Parmigiano Reggiano were uh, 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 rolled, and a um, bunch of people were walking around this mantle of Parmigiano Reggiano to, to eat it. So <laughs> I'd be there. It, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wonderful image. I love that on, idea. On 1344, <laughs> my God. <laughs> so there's a famous uh, uh, recipe about Parmigiano Reggiano, cacio and pepe. Uh, these people were the ancestors of cacio and pepe. Uh, uh, recipe. That's so, um, 1344, it's an important and Britain document. Moving forward uh, around the, uh, three centuries, 1612 was a date where in Parma region began um, a concept uh, of uh, PDO. Sixteen twelve, and then for other from sixteen twelve to nowadays, for the remaining four centuries, four hundred years, uh, step by step, uh, the, the the brand, the name Parmigiano Reggiano was uh, uh, established uh, mm -hmm. under some laws and uh, some uh, PDO criteria. Mm -hmm. In any case, we are talking about ten, twelve centuries. Very, very, very long history. That's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, it is a great cheese in so many ways, isn't it? I mean, there's the size and its long history and the, the age that it can achieve, I think partly because of its size, as I understand it. And tell me about your, tell me about Cravero, Giorgio, tell me about your, your family's long work with Parmigiano. Right. Our family business has also a long history. Not as long as the one I mentioned before, but uh, <laughs> our family business was founded by my great-great-grandfather mm -hmm. on 1855. Gosh. So generation by generation, it passed five generations to arrive to uh, my turn. I'm the fifth generation of mm -hmm. uh, the Craveros involved in the Parmigiano Reggiano business. Port and you're not makers tell of you. Parmigiano, are you? Exactly, yes, you I mean, read my mind. Explain Jenny, Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Because uh, the, the business is located, the headquarters, uh, since day one, is located in Bra, which is a, a town, 30,000 people we are here, in Piemonte, 
in Cuneo province, uh, in the southwest uh, part of Piemonte, 50 kilometers from Turin. Mm -hmm. So we are uh, 300 kilometers uh, west uh, from the production region. The production region, since ever, is located in Emilia-Romagna, uh, in the provinces of Parma, Reggio Emilia, Modena, Bologna and Mantova. Uh, actually, mm -hmm. Mantova is uh, the, the southern province of Lombardia region. Right. The provinces of Parma and Reggio Emilia are also the ones that give the name mm -hmm. Parmigiano-Reggiano. Parma, Parmigiano, Reggio Emilia, Reggiano. Is Fascinating. To, yes, yeah, yeah, very good. To, to be and that real, yes, and the originality of Italian food, which is such a strong thing, isn't it? So, yeah, a sense of place uh, to your oh, cuisine. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, being in, back to our history, being in Piemonte means that we never produce the cheese. We are affiners. Maturers. Maturers, yes. Maturers, yes. Because in England, English, we don't have the, the word, you know, we don't use, use we, sadly, we don't have a, a specific word for cheese maturing. So um, maturing is what we'll have to say. But obviously the French use the term affinage to describe this process. And in Italian, exactly. what would you say, Giorgio? For, for what um, because uh, uh, in a way we are uh, waiting for the for the seasons. The seasons are passing one after the other. Uh, season, the word season in English is translated in Italian stagione. Mm -hmm. So we are stagionatori. I love that word. Beautiful. Right. Fascinating. So it's... that's the passing of time, basically. Though. Exactly, so this is, exactly. This is exactly. at the heart of, of your Correct. work. Of... Okay. Correct. Oh, brilliant. Well, well tell, me all, tell me more. So tell me about the changes that happen to the, to the cheese. I mean, how does it work then? You have to go and source your, your parmigianos yourself. So, um, back to uh, the stagionatore concept, if mm -hmm. somebody asks me, what's your job? Uh, <laughs> first of all, I am a selector mm. uh, of cheese, afterward I'm a stagionatore, right. because the, um, the way the, the cheese is traded is the one I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explain. So, mm -hmm. in Emilia-Romagna, in Parma, Reggio Emilia, Modena, Bologna and Mantova, <laughs> there are nowadays 320 producers. They make the cheese every day of the year. Sundays, Christmas days, New Year's Eve days, always. Altogether, they produce around 4 million cheeses per year. Gosh. The producer, in the majority of the situations, the producer produce the cheese every day and then they mature their production for the first year, mm. for the first 12 months. Right. After the 12th month, the stagionatori buy their production and then they mature it, we mature it for the second year of the Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese's life. Right. Like uh, uh, from the 12 months to the 24 months. Mm -hmm. Right? First of all, I'm a master. Because I need uh, to be able to select the young cheeses, which are 12 months old, by some, uh, I would say, some um, uh, criteria, which are the one that uh, I'm looking for 
to be able to mature the cheeses for the second years until the 24 months and uh, following some criteria, criteria that uh, are able to help me to be able to have at 24 months the quality I need. So right. first of all, I need to select the place where the cheese are made. Mm. The place means that we are looking our cheeses uh, uh, by terroir. Oh. Around the production area, we identify a couple of places where the local grass, the environment, the soil, everything joined together. It's a good place to grow some particular kind of grass, which is the cow's diet, mm -hmm. to obtain particular milk, which is transformed in cheese, young cheese to arrive to the goal of the 24 months top quality Parmigiano. Is that, and I, this idea of Parmigiano as a table cheese, was that always the goal of your family business or is that something that you brought to the business, Giorgio, when you started working there? I have, yeah. I have to be very sincere. I try to enlarge an idea that uh, belonged to my dad. Ah. A ge previous generations, mm -hmm. but also in an easy way. Why? Because uh, it's a, my personal taste. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to propose to partners in the business, customers, whoever, something that you like. You know, well, it's, yes, uh, if you believe in it, that's a great, yeah, yeah, a great exactly. thing, isn't it? Absolutely. It's super, it's it's super yeah. easy, exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, it's a good cause, isn't it? A, a wonderful parmigiano that can be enjoyed as a table cheese, as well as grated. I mean, and in fact, of course, you are making me hungry, George. I hope you realise this. So, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. So, in fact, it would be really interesting to, perhaps, to discuss the, the ages you see. So, if, if I tried a, a 12-month parmigiano, is it legally sold at 12 months? Can it be sold as parmigiano at 12 months? Sure, yes. sure, sure, sure. That's the youngest... So what uh -huh. would it be like then if, if I came to your, you know, one of your producers with you and I tried one then? What, what would I taste? What would it be like then? Jenny, look, uh, the texture is super soft. Maybe it's also a little bit rubbery. Mm. Is it English? Yes, it is perfect English. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But because the maturation is uh, completely not yet uh, finished, the taste is quite flat. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So you can enjoy it. Let me tell you, this is my personal taste. So you can enjoy it because um, uh, being so soft, it's easy to be consumed. Uh -huh. um, but my goal is to try to persuade the people to do the same. So to taste uh, two years old Parmigiano Reggiano creamy soft in the texture but with all the the taste mm. better developed be, because of its age yeah um so it seems to be a nonsense but it's not and in italy is parmigiano in people would enjoy parmigiano as a table cheese that's part of italian culture is that right i mean it's seen, it's seen as a great it is a great cheese isn't it it's got a place yeah, yeah but in, in my country for cultural attitude for the thing that i know it's mainly used uh, to be grated on pasta 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just as we as a, as Bukatsu yeah, talked about. It, yeah. <laughs> it's something that uh, that uh, actually is happening mostly everywhere. Yeah, worldwide. Yeah. It's so interesting because when I was a child growing up in Britain, the only parmesan we had was absolutely terrible. It was a desiccated, really dry in a little um, tub that sort of smelled of cat sick, sadly. And then, and then I was lucky yeah, enough to go to Florence. In those teenager. cans, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, it was you know, like yeah. you like you put it on, you're like, why? And then it was this horrible, <laughs> gritty thing. But then I can remember, literally, we moved to Italy. I was very lucky. I was 13, and there was this revelation where we went to the first restaurant. I think it was up in Fiesole, and then the waiter bought some parmigiana and this little cloud flutted down you know this beautiful sort sure, of white flakes sure, i was sure. like wow <laughs> it was amazing no, but it's super interesting phenomenon because uh when i began my career here at the family business 35 years ago the the percentage of the parmigiano exported was less than 10 percent so in 30 Gosh. years quadrupled yes that is really interesting isn't it so and also it's taste, interesting yeah. for our as cradera as business we export our 80% of our production. Right. Oh, yes. that's very interesting. So you've got a big export market then, basically. Sure, right. sure, sure. Because uh, uh, probably for some reasons in, in the last 20 years, it was more successful to to find follower of the soft and sweet Parmigiano Reggiano abroad mm -hmm. rather than in Italy. Well, and yes. yeah, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Then I'm, I'm super pleased to attend, for example, this chat this morning, uh, and I did the same in the last 20 years. Yes. I attended two events or Lovely. things yeah. to try to educate people more often in abroad than than in Italy, because in Italy the Parmigiano is the everyday cheese. So right, that is really it's interesting. More complicated yeah. here than than abroad yeah fascinating well georgia thank you so much for your time i mean you've talked my pleasure Jenny. really lovely my pleasure. Um, take care i'm a huge fan of peter's yard's crackers and they go beautifully with cheese all peter's yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavor and crunch visit petersyard.com forward slash shop Enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savor the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Philip, if we could just explain what Grana Padano is. So, Grana Padano is. Is an Italian grating cheese. But uh, Grana Padano and Parmigiano Reggiano are essentially the same cheese. It's that same granular texture. They look exactly the same, apart from the the, the markings on the outside. And the Grana Padano is made in a much larger area in uh, Emilia Romagna. It, it's still um, a, a DOP product but um, it doesn't have all the strict rules and regulations that Parmigiano Reggiano has. And so um, it, it's, it, it, the, the milk is fully uh, semi-skimmed, so it's got a, a less fat. It, it, it can be eaten uh, younger. It, it's 
it matures earlier um, per the regulations uh, and it's a lot cheaper. So Grana Padano, Parmigiano yeah. and unfortunately across the planet there are many places selling something called Parmesan um, which is in fact is Grana Padano, it's not Parmigiano Reggiano purely because of the price. Uh, the flavour is much lighter, it, it tends to be a little bit softer, n not such an ideal eating cheese um, and, and it's mainly used for grating. Uh, so uh, our introduction in Scotland was through Grana Padano rather than Parmigiano Reggiano. That makes sense, yes. And so that's really interesting. So your so the model for Vavona and Colla was was of selling of you know affordable Italian foodstuffs. So you mentioned trattorias and that sort of rise of the um, you know spaghetti house and, yes. and a, a new yes. yeah. I mean, really fascinating. And what strikes me, Philip, is that you know Italian delicatessens have done a huge amount to bring Italian foods to to the notice of the British public. You know, by by literally. I think also handing out tastings as well. All, all the time. That, that's all we did. Post-war, um, the Italian families that opened up their businesses again after the war, you know, had been through the mill. Um, it, it, unfortunately, Italy was not on the side of the Allies in the Second mm. World War. And so it, 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 it was a bit difficult. There was a small amount of Antipathy, but there was just a, a feeling of slight embarrassment and, um, oh, if only things had gone the other way, that kind of conversation. And so the Italians wanted to attract um, their customers into the shop. So a lot of what they sold was based on price. You know, I don't know what London was like, but certainly up here in Scotland, to bring Scottish customers in, to, to increase our customer base because because in those days um, pre-war and immediately post-war you know 90% of our customers were Italian they were not Scottish mm. and it was only from the Scottish soldiers returning from the Italian campaign and where they had tasted Italian food and brought their wives into the Italian delis in Scotland to say you know I tasted such and such uh, uh, during the war, let's find out if they've got it. And and th those conversations were, were interesting and exciting and it made us feel more confident that the Scots were in fact really interested in, in our food. So there was that slow progress, taste, handing out tastings um, a, a, of, of all manner of salamis and cheeses and not least uh, uh, Parmesan, uh, which at the time was definitely Grana Padano. I think it, it, they would maybe buy one or two wheels of Parmigiano Reggiano at Christmas as a kind of luxury treat. Um, and, and it was because of that, that you could taste the difference. And that was the wonderful thing. You could taste the difference. And some of our wealthier customers when is the Parmigiano uh, Reggiano arriving? You know, uh, and, and they wanted they wanted to buy that instead and pay the extra. So fascinating, because I think now you know we the supermarkets are so well stocked with ingredients around the world. It's hard to realise that actually, yes. you know, just a few decades ago that was not the case. And we, you know, my used to go. My no. mother used to take me to Ikemisa in 
in Soho, and that's where we would buy. Um, I'd lived. In, I was lucky yes. enough to have lived in Tuscany, and we would go there to buy. You know, having fallen in love with Italian food, um, these ingredients, these precious yes. ingredients, you know, like Parmigiano. Yeah. Um, which may well have been Grana Padana even then. <laughs> so, yeah. could, could, could have been, yeah. yes, could, could, yeah. could, could have been. And, and I guess we, um, uh, as I grew up in the business um, and started to understand uh, research, you know, travel to Italy to taste wines, to taste different food products and go to the the, the slow but surely growing number of food fairs and and being introduced to like-minded producers. You know, if, you, if you've got a, a producer of a really good wine, uh, that producer will know the local cheese maker who makes good cheese, the local various artisans that make mm. honey or jam or whatever. So with an, you know what Italy's like, with an introduction, then you, you, it opens yeah. doors for you that letters and phone calls m would not. And, and so we gradually built up this knowledge and 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 just tasted the difference, and so uh, with Parmigiano Reggiano, um, we would go around food fairs and and taste, and think that you know we've got to do something here. We 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 need to we, we need to bypass, <laughs> unfortunately, the London wholesalers because yeah. they were taking a whacking margin, <laughs> and and the cheese I mean, and quite right too, but the cheeses were were becoming very expensive and you know the supermarkets came along in the early 70s and and they were piling it high and selling it cheap so we had to move Valvona and Crolla into a different marketplace a deal only with small artisan producers in order to have something different and we still do that to this day um, you know, everybody's got mozzarella, parmigiano, gorgonzola, every, everybody's got everything all over the UK. You can go to your local petrol station and buy slices, pre-slices of <laughs> packs of mortadella. You know, I mean, it's yep. ridiculous. Yep. So where does Valvona and Crolla fit in there? We just deal with like, like people like Giorgio Cravero, whom you've met. Five, six generations. His son is now seven generations. Mm. Um, maturing and maketing high quality parmigiano reggiano and um and and so tasting the difference finding a product then then with uh, our entry into the then the eec um transport between britain and europe became m much easier and there was regular refrigerated transport Go, coming in from Milan into London and we would then piggyback produce with a large container and we would take a pallet with a few items on it and book a space and this product would come from Italy arrive at our door and and it was better than we'd had before and it was cheaper because <laughs> you know and, and say to our customers you know the price of the Grana Padano last week? Well, we've got Parmigiano Reggiano this week at the same price because we've bought it cheaper. And and that's how Parmigiano Reggiano started in Valvona and Crolla um, in the early 80s. Uh, and then we met Giorgio um, at one of the slow food fairs in Turin, mm -hmm. in Torino. 
and um, and the rest is history. We just we just bonded. We we'd never met each other, and we hugged, and 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 this was like the altar, the Catholic altar boy at the high altar at St Peter's Basilica. You know, this was it, <laughs> and 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 uh, and then he let me taste the different. Parmigians, the different farms from whom he bought the cheese, and and of course, uh, the best was the dearest, and it was excitingly the best. It was just mm. incredibly creamy. The granular crystals seemed to melt in your tremendous relationship over the years, and uh, and now we buy only his. Um, his Parmigiano number 2659, um, farm 2659 San Pietro, and from Benedello near Modena. Uh, and I, I think it sits at about seven or 800 metres up on the, the pre-Apennine slopes with these beautiful lush meadows, cut the grass, dry it, and then the cows eat dried grass all year round, so there's no longer the difference between the summer fresh grass and the winter dried grass, and that you know the milk comes out different. Yeah. And there's yeah. a, a, a some people love that, we don't, we just like that consistency of the dry grass. And have you found yeah. your, your customers at Valverne and Cola have also grown, you know, so they have come to love Parmigiano Reggiano then. Yes, that you are offering. Yeah, that's interesting, yes. isn't it? You and and, and you, you know, we we had uh, both cheeses for sale, and eventually Grana Padano just died a death. Mm. Um, and and a strange thing happened. Uh, um, and, and you know, thankfully, it's it's, it's now. I, I think it's more or less stopped. But there's a sort of Argentinian product. Uh, called Reggianito or Rigato or it's it's a it's a sort of ten kilo cheese, not made in Italy, uh, made in South America. Uh, um, I think some of it's also made in Eastern Europe in Czechoslovakia or somewhere like that. Uh, called Gran Moravia, and it's it's a, it's just like a hard cheese for grating, and it's very cheap, and people put it through their big, you know, three horsepower. Uh, um, blasting graters to get this fine powder, and 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 it's cheap. And and uh, for a, a, a time, hotels, restaurants in Scotland only wanted this new cheap Parmesan, and we were saying, but it's not Parmesan, it's not Parmigiano, it's it's a cheap substitute. And eventually, uh, you know, I think it's faded out as as the customers now demand. Parmesan, Parmigiano, and in fact, the the I think the EC is now regulated that the word Parmesan, used in France and Britain, Britain and America, it can only be associated with Parmigiano Reggiano. It cannot, in fact, be associated with Grana Padano. I was wanted to ask you, Philip, because it's so interesting hearing your sort of memories of how attitudes to food have changed in Britain. Do you remember things like the effect, you know, with the River Cafe? Because um, I can remember moving back to London when I was 16 and telling friends, the mothers of friends, with great enthusiasm how lovely Italian food was. Um, but do yes. you remember things like yes. the effect of the River Cafe, you know, or was there an Italian, yes. was there a TV programme that, you know, got your customers asking for Parmigiano? Yeah, even in the early days uh, um, of um, Elizabeth David, 
um, mm. Anna Del Conte. Mm, uh, wonderful writer. Uh, yeah. you, you, yes. Um, uh, uh, Antonio Carluccio, uh, the BBC Two food programme. Um, uh, 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 Antonio, uh, the late Antonio Carluccio, did a huge amount. Um, uh, uh, and he was, a, he was a great character on television. So he kept us going, you know, when there was a new Carluccio <laughs> series coming on, you think, yeah. great, sales will go up because yeah. he made everything look and taste brilliant. And you're watching on your screen salivating. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and Rose and Ruth at River Cafe, huge influence in London and, and permeated the whole of the UK. Mm. Um, uh, they came to Valvon and Crowley, did cookery demonstrations in the early days. Oh. Um, uh, utterly wonderful. We had the same wine merchant in common. Um, we, we were so grateful for what River Cafe did uh, um, and is still doing. Their, their, mm. their food is brilliant. And then so many um, new cookery writers and, and, and TV chefs um, have made Italian ingredients now part and parcel of uh, of our cooking way everyday way of life uh, yeah. because the supermarkets have got all your basic ingredients for you to cook an Italian meal and it is wonderful and then you go on well, you know one you, you go on holiday to Italy or hopefully in the future yes. <laughs> uh, we'll be allowed to go um and you'll taste things and you think, ah, you know, I, I know how to make that. Uh, um, ah, that's what it should taste like. Oh, and then you come back home and you can buy the ingredients. And m maybe that's not the same for many other cuisines from the rest of the world, that actually you can access Italian cooking and produce something pretty damn good uh, without a lot of fuss and bother. And so, and, and then Italy's, you know, 20 regions, every region's different, it's got its own cuisine, its own great varieties. You, you, you know, you could spend a lifetime not going on holiday anywhere except Italy and I having <laughs> a, new, a new experience. You know, the food yes. in, in Sicily, east of Sicily, west Sicily, Puglia, Campania, uh, Piemonte, all completely different. It is an so. extraordinary cheese, isn't it? In that depth of flavour, which, you know, this issue of cost and value. <laughs> and yes. this is a cheese which is, you know, which takes a lot of milk to produce, a large cheese, takes a lot yes. of time. So all that yes. time has been invested. Yes. So these, and it's very um, respected, isn't it? In Italian, you know, oh, Parmigiano, you know, yeah. It's, it's the law. It, um, <laughs> it's, it's very strictly defined. Parmigiano Reggiano. Let's just put something to bed here. Parmigiano Reggiano is has to be made from raw milk. It is not pasteurized, number one. Number two, it has to be, it, it has to have a, a calf's stomach rennet. That's, mm -hmm. the, the, there is no vegetarian rennet in the Parmigiano Reggiano. You'll still get grating cheese that is made with vegetarian rennet. It cannot be called Parmigiano Reggiano. That is the law. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and Giorgio will maybe explain more uh, 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 about the, the the growth of vegetarianism in in grana type cheeses. 
Yeah. But the law in Italy at the moment is very strict. It cannot be labelled vegetarian because it has to have animal That's rennet. The tradition that was the traditional rennet, obviously. The, uh, uh, yes, yeah, yes. from from the old vaccherosse, from the original Reggiano cows, uh, going back um, to the. 12th, 13th century, I think, they started to record the making of Parmigiano. Yes, amazing um, history. Yes. It, it, it is. George will tell you more of that, I'm sure. Mm. Um, but uh, it was post-war. I, I think the number of the Vaccherosi dwindled to uh, so many hundreds of thousands to a few hundred, and they introduced the sort of the Holstein Friesian cows, mm. uh, uh, which produced more milk, easier to handle, and I think our San Pietro is now 100% Frisian cows. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and the quality of the milk is what you feed the cows. Yeah. End of story. If you, if you in, in, with the Grana Padano, you can buy in dried grass, you can use silage, uh, um, you can bring it into the area. It doesn't need to be from Emilia-Romagna, whereas Parmigiano-Reggiano has got to be from grass, from a, a defined area, um, whether it's fresh or dried. It, 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 it's up to the it's up to the the, the, the farm. But uh, there's nothing else that can be put in. There's no other additives. It's only grass, and and so you you can maintain the quality um, with the. The, the, the grass from those lush alpine, not alpine, but apennine, I should say, mm. meadows, um, and they cut the and grass. it does have that, that lovely sweetness, doesn't it, when you eat a good parmesan? It has. It, 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 it has. And, and you know, there are parmigiano contests. There seems to be a new one every week. Different people, different areas, different companies trying to make a buck also run a competition and they get experts to come in and, and taste the cheese and then there's a prize winner. You know, eventually, you know, any decent Parmigiano will eventually win an award <laughs> someday. It's like the delis in Britain, you know, there's not many of us left. Yeah. And, you know, the, the award time does eventually come round. Um, I, I guess I'm just being a bit cheeky there, but, <laughs> but you know, it, 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 at the end of the day, it, it's what you're doing in your business. If you're, are you making good Parmigiano Reggiano? Have you got somebody good to sell it? And then is the deli that's buying it and selling it, have they got good customers? And, and, and uh, we all look after each other. And at the end of the day, the customer benefits. I mean, it's wonderful. In, in, in Britain today, the, whether it be uh, on the internet at the moment because of COVID or in general driving yeah. around traveling, there's so many lovely places to buy food. And, and more and more uh, food shops will have Parmigiano Reggiano. I think it's sensational. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. Philip, thank you so much for sharing all these memories, and that's brilliant. And thank you, Philip. Regards wish you all the very best. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Rachel, I was really interested, given, you know, your the way that you've moved to Rome and have learnt about Italian food and write about Italian food. What Do you remember a sort of um, a key... Parmesan moment where suddenly this 
this cheese took on a new meaning to you because you had moved to Italy and saw it in a different context? Well, hello, and it's lovely to be here. I do, actually, because I... So where I am in Rome, in a part of Rome called Testaccio, um, that I have always compared to a wedge of cheese because it is a, <laughs> it is a wedge-shaped quarter of the city in the sense that it's got sort of two cut sides and then the river forms this um, sort of arc. Um, it's a piece of cheese, although that would me be Pecorino Romano. But anyway, in this quarter, I live above a bread shop, a quite a sort of historic bread shop called Passi. And Passi, like a lot of bread shops, has a cheese counter, cheese and salami counter towards the back that's looked after by a guy called Roberto. And basically, I think there's sort of 30 cheeses in this cheese counter, sort of everyday cheeses, nothing particularly sort of special, although they all look delicious. And basically on one side of the counter is Pecorino Romano, um, a lot of it, uh, sort of half a cheese and then various wedges. And on the other side is a big sort of pile of Parmigiano, Reggiano, which... um, which and I remember going in and, and sort of buying bread and sort of navigating this new cheese shaped quarter and the bread shop that I was living above became this sort of focus and they seemed like the elements and that was also interesting you know being in Rome and seeing those two cheeses there so yes that's sort of my, I remember that being my sort of parmesan pecorino moment in Rome in 2005. That is so interesting, isn't it? Because it's that that really strong regionality of Italian cooking. So, you know, that Rome has its own cheese in effect. And I suppose Parmigiano, in a way, is seen as perhaps as a more nationally Italian cheese. I mean, certainly I think to people outside Italy, we see it as an Italian cheese. I mean, it's so interesting, Parmesan, you know, which is a big, expensive cheese, but it gives a lot, doesn't it? For the, you know, you don't need a lot for it to make a difference. No, no, exactly. And just, but just going back to that sort of idea of um, of sort of Parmesan and Pecorino and sort of regional and national cheeses. I think, you know, I came here in two thousand and five and knew a little bit about Italian food. But actually, cheese, probably Parmesan and Pecorino, was a really good way for me to understand this sort of um, dual idea of extreme regionality, in that every region has its own cheese, and Rome, that is. Pecorino Romano, Cacho, but also in the same time there are national cheeses, and I think I mean I'm not a, uh, I'm not a sort of you know hugely knowledgeable historian, but sort of my understanding of the sort of particularly the last fifty years in Italy where there has been this this sort of unity in food in many senses, um, and I think Parmesan's a good sort of representation of that. The fact that Parmesan, which is a northern Italian cheese, has now become diffused all over Italy. But at the same time, that hasn't in any way really sort of disturbed the regionality. So those two things are sort of held together. Um, and I think palm cheese sort of represents that beautifully. In fact, Roberto always says to me, you know, it, it, this sort of he sells now equal amounts of pecorino romano and parmesan. And actually, you know, the fact that Romans often use them together is a sort of interesting idea of sort of holding the regionality and nationality together. I sort of find that quite fascinating. That is a lovely example, actually. Yes, that is really, I mean, it is actually thing of holding on but you know but things changing but you know respect for for what has always been there are so fascinating I mean and I was thinking about it in cooking and you know and it's always it was always a treat parmigiano wasn't it fresh parmigiano the restaurant would always sprinkle on like a teaspoon and then they take the parmesan away basically but it's that interesting thing that was that sort of slight frugality in Italian food actually you can have too much as well can't you you know you also you don't want to overdo the parmigiano because you want to let the other the flavour of the pasta for example come through yeah it's, and also is it actually that you you've sort of said you've said the most important thing now I've realized it through you speaking is that 
that was the main difference for me, I think, with Parmesan was that I um, had always treated it as a as something that I put on top. And I think what I've learned, which a lot of people knew already, was sort of using it as an ingredient. That's the big change, I think, in probably my cooking. I still use it as a table cheese, although actually I do also use a lot of Pecorino Romano just because it's what I have here. Um, um, but um, and of course, Pecorino Romano is so sort of integral to the, uh, so many Roman dishes. But I use Parmesan a lot as an ingredient, so as a sort of seasoning, because it is it's a, it is it is a superhero ingredient in the sense that it sort of does everything, doesn't it? it you know, it, it's working as a fat, it's working as a flavour, it's working as a seasoning, it's working, it, you know, it, it's at the bottom, it's at the top, um, mm. and um, and so I sort of I, I I really I really like that, and I think. Um, because of course it is yes it is functioning so much of the season and I think that's also really I think my perspective has widened um, uh, right working on this recent book about pasta I've always sort of concentrated on Roman food and Sicilian food just because I thought if I'm going to have the audacity to be a stranger writing about Italian food at least I'll write about what I know which is Rome and Sicily but writing this pasta book I've, I've sort of I've moved out of my comfort zone and you know traveling in 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 the north and particularly in bologna and seeing how the bolognese use parmesan mm. you know as an ingredient obviously with as a sort of filling with meat did feel like a whole new world and was a bit destabilizing actually because it is it is such a powerful ingredient and and you don't need very much and it's completely different d depending on sort of when in cooking you use it um, I feel like I'm I'm in a new world of Parmesan, which is uh, which is exciting um, and sort of unsettling, really, in a way. Well, that, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because as you say, you know, exploring. I mean, that's the joy of food, isn't it? That we, you know, however much we know, we will never know everything there is about food. I mean, you know, if we could just take one, you know, one ingredient, cheese, pasta. There's so much depth to it, so much to know, which is what keeps it exciting, I think. And um, but I, th I think that's really interesting. You talked about the different ways of using Parmesan. Perhaps we could, perhaps you could tell us some of the ways that you have come across it being used in Italian cuisine. Well, there's, I suppose, going back to Bologna, I suppose, you know, as um, in fillings, and I'm, I'm thinking particularly, obviously, in, in, in Bologna, in, in the tortellini, um, you know, you mix that very dense, almost sort of pate-like filling of pork and mortadella and Parmesan, which is used to fill the tiny belly button like tortellini, um, and then um, and then often you know often will be then used on top of pasta as well, or mm -hmm. or in there or in there's quite a lot of wonderful baked. They've got a couple of sort of baked pastas encased in pastry, so you know often often um, parmesan will be used you know as a sort of seasoning in with meat, or it will be sort of put in with bechamel, or it's sort of integral, and then obviously just used in sort of savoury pies. Um, again, I think there has been, um, and I always feel the need to sort of say, I, this is something I'm learning about, but you know, it, it, depending on where you are, Italians have a lot of savoury tarts, the sort of mm -hmm. torta pasqualina, the Easter tart, or or these, you know, cheese and ham savoury tarts, there's lots in Sicily as well, and often parmesan um, will be used in with spinach and ricotta and egg um, as a sort of deep seasoner uh, and flavour and fat, of course. So. Yes, that's how I've been. And I've been making a lot of filled pasta and a lot of savoury tarts lately. And so I yes, I've been using a lot of Parmesan in cooking. And interestingly, you know, sort of probably less Parmesan on top. Um, mm. It's, uh, yeah, it's always, I mean, it's opened, I feel a, a new world is open to me. So going back to the bread shop, 
um, they every so often Roberta will be opening a, a Wheel of Parmesan um, when I go in, which is a sort of lovely thing to watch um, with his little stumpy knives. And on it will be the date. So I always know. And in fact, the one he opened last week's was September 2018. Mm. So that means that the Parmesan they're selling at the moment is, let me do my maths. Mm-mm, that's, what does that make it? That makes it tw- 28 months. Gosh, yes. I was thinking pandemic was my rather grim train of thought there. So. And pandemic Parmesan. Well, yes, actually. it's um, So that's, but then also the, I do go to another cheese shop where I'm, I've been, to me, it's been a whole new world of sort of tasting older Parmesans. And then you, again, which I would probably, probably eat the table cheese and watching how that sort of extraordinary um, sort of crystalline texture changes as the Parmesan sort of goes. Then there seemed to be a complete transformation in the form of the cheese between sort of 28 and 36 months, isn't there? So mm. I think I'm, I feel as if I, I'm, I'm my taste buds are sort of entering this whole world and actually what's also been interesting in the pandemic is that um you know because travel's been restricted and we have been um sort of doing more things online it's amazing to see how the the, the parmigiano reggiano consorzio has all gone online so that now you have this world of information of ages and cheeses and the milk mm. you know that the the, the 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 cows the milk is coming from online so I think it is it's um it's a real world and it's a sort of virtual world which is exciting um, yeah I mean yeah. we've had the same thing in Britain where a lot of cheesemakers have gone online to sell directly um you know partly you know out of necessity because they lost hospitality business that was essential um but it does open up you know it's really interesting that thing that and I'm someone who loves food shops like you and I love the shopping I love going to market I love going to shops but it is sort of amazing especially you know when you can't go out being able to go online and order things that you would like to eat is is a pretty wonderful thing. Um, as into what you said about parmesan, I think we should talk a little bit about its flavour because you talked about its deep flavour, and that seemed a really good, uh, word, you know, adjective for it. What tell me what you think parmesan does bring um, to to a dish? You know, it does have this very particular sort of flavour. I think as a cheese, I feel I have to eat a bit as I'm as I'm talking to you <laughs> without being sort of pretentious. But it, yeah. I mean, well, it's it's the rat, it's the sort of it's the deep buttery roundness of it isn't it and it's it feels like the most sort of round buttery what does it bring I always feel parmesan round things and what's really interesting is that because I do I really really like pecorino romano I think also because you know I've been here 16 years and it's so integral to um Roman dishes and it's such a sort of signature flavor in Rome you know pecorino romano is is, isn't it? It's it's salty and it's mm-hmm. it's bossy, and it's <laughs> it's quite. I mean, the, I don't you know good pecorino can record, the sort of pecorino I get is quite direct and it feels quite sort of um how do you say like like sort of one direct like almost one flavour quite sort of you know yeah. um singular, whereas mm-hmm. in comparison because I have the two in the kitchen all the time in comparison parmesan feels like this sort of big round sort of mature developed flavor compared to the rather mm. sort of salty pointed pecorino and so though with those two counterpoints i it just brings such roundness to dishes i was making a i was testing this this sort of spring vegetable tart last week uh which is spinach and sort of soft cheese and potato and peas in a sort of olive oil and wine, wine pastry it's really nice and i one of the one time i tested it i forgot to put parmesan in it's sort of four tablespoons of parmesan and it was and i put salt in it was extraordinary what was missing and then i made it again two days later and put probably slightly more parmesan than i should have done he 
sort of tablespoons. And there it was, you know, suddenly it, it, it was, and it's interesting because it was different to salt because the salt was in there. The Parmesan just sort of brought everything alive and sort of rounded everything. Um, it, so, it does have this wonderful umami salty sweetness to it you know a savouriness but but with that sweetness i mean good parmesan i think yeah it is that's a that's so interesting that you, you that you could feel you could taste the difference that's fascinating because i mean we should also talk really about um you know using parmesan rinds you know this this remarkable cheese which is made with such over such a period of time it you know every bit of it is usable and even though the rind is too hard to eat, I think. And, it, you know, it's, it's again, can be used in cooking, can't it, Rachel? Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I mean, I think we both do, don't we? I mean, put, you know, a Parmesan rind in, in a soup or a stew is, lends sort of extraordinary flavour, all, all those, all that same sort of soft, sweet, savoury saltiness is, is, um, is sort of lent to the soup. I am inevitably getting very, very hungry over here, but we should talk about, you know, I think in Britain, Parmesan is seen as a as a grating cheese, isn't it? I mean, it would be really interesting, Rachel, did you say, you, you know, presumably you are grating Parmesan quite a lot with all your recipe testing and uh, let's, let's hear a little bit of, of Parmesan being grated if that's possible. Yes, I am. I do grate up Parmesan, although the, the, sometimes I don't. The other thing about shops, of course, and market stores is that they, in Italy, all shops and market stores will have a cheese grater. So they will um, grate cheese for you, which of course makes things sort of massively convenient because you, you know, you can buy 100 grams of cheese ready grated. Right, I'm going to, I don't know if you can hear this. Oh, yeah, I should be able to. Now, the thing about grating, I don't know what you feel, Jenny. I, it's that star side of the grater, which I, the one I ignored for years and the, the nasty one that sort of gets your knuckles and makes them bleed. Mm-hmm. That's the side of the grater for Parmesan, I think. Do you agree? I do. That's, that's a really... Yes, and you're right. It was sort of, you know, yeah, you need the Parmesan for it. Oh, yeah, let's go for it. I can hear a little crunchy sound there. Oh, this smells so lovely. <laughs> so what I mean, is that smell that you're getting then? Is it a sort of salty sweetness? Yeah. I can't even, you know, and you sort of can't. Yeah, probably can't describe it actually. It's sort of like butter and hazelnuts and straw and salt. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I mean, that's. I've got a, I've got two graters here actually. I've got the one we bought in Sicily, which is a sort of. Um, it looks like an old-fashioned kid's slide, you know. So with a sort of leg that you put down that makes a triangle, mm-hmm. with a with a with a little tray underneath that you can catch the cheese, and that is again that's got the sort of star side. Um, holes in it, which are really nasty. The thing about them is, of course, is though these old-fashioned graters, you do need quite hard cheese, and um, you know if the cheese is very soft, it just sort of crumbles and quite is quite hard work. But that grater, and then I've got a sort of normal box grater. But yes, it's the sort of nasty side. But it, what it does is it gives you, isn't it? It gives this this sort of soft crumb. These look. It looks a little bit like sawdust here. So it's not. I I don't. I'm not a fan of microplanes at all, actually. And, but also that's slightly paranoid because again, from sort of testing and testing a lot of um, sort of Roman recipes, which demand sort of lots of grated cheese that's then melted to carbonara, the glacia, that's all where the cheese is melted into the dish. I became convinced that this sort of soft crumb melts differently to the microplane. And then it became a bit sort of, um, I became a bit obsessive. And because this was the grate that stalls sell, this sort of fine, soft grate, I think it melts differently. Um, but I'm sure people, I would love someone to argue, to argue with me about that and just tell me I'm being paranoid. I remain convinced. I really like the idea. That is wonderful. 
I was just again thinking about Parmigiana and how it's used, and, and it's interesting thinking. It's so interesting that because it's so powerful, just this little bit of it will just really finish off a dish. I make a dish called Crispena Fiorentina, which is based on having lived in in Florence. It's um, Florentine pancakes, spinach and ricotta, and I was shown it by a very dear American friend who learned it from a restaurant they loved in Florence, and. Part of it, you know, the ricotta and the, so the ricotta very light, the spinach, and then but you put the parmesan at the end when you bake it, and it just it's that lovely crust. So in fact, parmesan is also give you know in cooking is also texture, I suppose, isn't it? On top of a when it's cooked, it also gives that te- along with breadcrumbs, which is a very beloved Italian ingredient, that gives a lovely texture, doesn't it? Oh God, yeah, absolutely. And you're sort of making me think and about all the ways. Yes, absolutely. It's it's a real chameleon as well, isn't it? Because it, it can it sort of takes on different forms. Like you're saying that I'd forgotten all about the sort of you know mixing it in with breadcrumbs on the tops of things and and also you can sort of layer I mean you can sort of layer parmesan in the same way that you layer salt can't you you know layer things with salt so you know you can a spoonful of it in you know in in with the ricotta and then a little bit more on top and a little bit more on top right at the end so it makes a sort of lattice it changes it changes form it it is it is it is an extraordinary ingredient and uh, I think was the power I always think back to um you know uh, when I was a um you know, pregnant, and then and my doctor said, eat, you know, eat eat a chunk of parmesan, sort of every day, and uh, which advice that I took quite, li- <laughs> quite literally, and um, and used to um, and um, and my mother-in-law often has they have a sort of electric grater, and so she will often have in the fridge ready cut like a little Tupperware box with a few pieces of nice really nice parmesan and a few pieces of really nice pecorino, and then you at the table the sort of Tupperware thing is opened, and then you put your little chunk of cheese in the electric grater and then and you put it on your pasta. And I always found these chunks of please, she's very careful, my mother-in-law, and she sort of, she would do these sort of nice pieces, these nice chunks that she would chisel with a little sheave knife. So when I was pregnant and then when my son was born, I would sort of carry around these like little pieces of cheese as if they were sort of essential medicine that I was having. And then again, when my son was born and the doctor, oh, that was nothing about being pregnant. You know, I, I came back to England and my doctor said, right, I have to tell you that you can have no wine and no coffee. And best probably to sort of avoid all cheese, all cheese, not just blue cheese. And then I came to my Italian doctor and he said, now, I have to tell you just one coffee a day, maybe two. And, and just and really just a glass of wine at night if you really want to. And cheese lots of cheese so i so i taking this advice really literally and then when luca was born of course i was eating the cheese and then it's the first thing that sort of it, it's recommended that you give to children um and so my little boy i mean who you know which child doesn't that's <laughs> quite flying in the face of any advice about not giving babies salt this sort of six month old boy sort of sucking on cheese um, <laughs> and haribo and haribo sweets i hasten to add but you know also chucking seeds and then of course it was you know stirred into the sort of pastina you know that the, the sort of the little dishes the, the tiny pasta cooked in broth and then with parmesan into a rich you know this little and so i think you know it was it was such a I don't know why I began this story, but anyway, this sort of such a, these little hunks of cheese, just, they sort of felt like bullets of flavour that were nourishing as recommended by the doctor. I love that. I love, and yes, I want to be in Italy with Italian doctors. Yeah. Wonderful approach. Um, oh, Rachel, that is really lovely. I was so vivid and expressive and really beautiful. So um, thank you so much. I'm honoured. Thank you. And it's always nice to talk to you. Thank you, Rachel. Lots of love. Talk, talk soon. to you soon. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.